Good morning and welcome once again to Malvern Hill Baptist Church. My name is Craig Thompson. I'm the other pastor here and it is our privilege and joy to have you with us. Um, We are spending a little bit of time thinking through some texts that remind us of all the things we have to be thankful for. This morning we are in Genesis chapter 2 beginning in verse 18. If you want to go ahead and turn there, it should be easy enough. You just make it past the table of contents and you've already arrived. As you are um, turning, a few things let me just bring your attention to, there will be no Wednesday evening services this week and the church offices will be closed on Thursday, so um, please make note of that. Also, if there are any other um, Operation Christmas Child boxes that have been brought today, take those to the gym before you leave under the Welcome Center bar back there. They're all stacked up. They will be delivered to whatever collection site they're headed to, I think in Lugoff. Um, but um, if you would, if you have those with you, you can take those to the gym before you leave. All right, hopefully by now you've made it to Genesis chapter 2, beginning in verse number 18. I'm going to ask you to stand with me in honor of God's Word as we think about why it is that we should be thankful for our family. Here now, for this is the Word of God. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock, to the birds of the heavens, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs... And closed up its place with the flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed Let's pray together. Father in heaven, I pray that you would show us the value of family today. That, Father God, we would be grateful for the families that you've given us, Lord God, and Lord, that you would show us through this how it is that we may be more intentional in investing in our families. Father, be with us today. Guide us through your word. May your Holy Spirit move among us. In Jesus' name, amen. Why should I be thankful for my family? Now look here, I I recognize that not everyone who sits in this room this morning had the opportunity to have been raised in a great family or maybe even a good family. Some of you don't have the opportunity to belong to a good, healthy family right now. But rather than write this sermon off because your family is not or was not all that you wanted or all even that God intended... Folks, those of you that come from a difficult family situation of all people should be able to recognize the value in a family that is built around God's expectations. Um, Even if you didn't have the privilege of coming from that kind of environment, you, perhaps better than anybody else in this room, can understand why it's so important that families be built around God's intention and God's design. And so this morning, I want you to think about the blessing that a good family is. For those of you that have a great family, you know that blessing. For others of you, you're praying for that blessing. But this morning, we need to recognize that the family is the basic building block for society and for culture. The family is the basic building block for the church. 
And if we're going to have healthy churches and a healthy society, it's going to be built on the foundation of healthy marriages that seek to put the Lord first and build the relationships in such a way that honors God and that fits within His created purpose. So this morning, I want to see three things. And it's going to take us a while to get through the... How long do we have? Look, we could be here for another hour or two. Um, uh, We won't be, but I mean, we could be. I'm telling you, i got a lot of stuff I'd love to share with you this morning. uh, But time is not going to allow for me to get all of them in. But perhaps we can get most of it in. If I start talking too fast, if one of you just kind of wave your hand like this, I'll know that means to take a breath and to slow down. Uh, But uh, we do have a lot because I'm going to tell you, there's so much blessing for us in these texts. As God graciously and in love, excuse me, gives us a design for how it is that we can find joy, love, contentment, happiness, and health in our families. All right? So let's jump right in. The first thing we see here this morning is that the family is God's design for intimacy. Now here, I want to use that word as a very broad word to, in, to encapsulate every level of intimacy that should exist between a man and a woman. Okay, So romantic intimacy um, all the way up to sexual intimacy, but all the way down to carrying out the trash. Okay, We want to see that the family is God's design for those romantic, intimate relationships. And by intimate here, we're saying that it's God's design for the kind of relationship when a man and a woman know one another fully and completely and is fully known. We understand that that was God's intent. He gives us the model. He says they were naked and not ashamed. Right? Adam and Eve looked at each other and saw the other completely exposed and and we're not ashamed at what the other saw nor at what they saw in the other. Okay? Why are we ashamed of our nakedness? Because it exposes us for who we are, physically and otherwise. We lay ourselves out there for the whole world to see, and it is terribly embarrassing. Why? Because we know that deep in our own heart of hearts, we are judgmental people as well. We also know that as sinful human beings, we have things that we should hide. There are things in our lives for which we are embarrassed and we don't want the world to know. So we seek to cover those up. Adam and Eve at creation were created in innocence. There was no sin that would separate them from their God or from one another. And so here in this moment of creation, Adam and Eve are completely free from all the fetters, all the, the, the chains that would keep them from experiencing full and complete intimacy with one another. The marriage relationship, the family, is God's design for intimacy. God said that Adam and Eve were to leave their families of origin and cling to each other. Folks, when I do marriage counseling, this is one of those places, especially right here in Camden, South Carolina. And and I say that because here in our community, family is a big, big deal. Okay? Those of you that live in this community, you understand. It's a big deal. And when we talk about the importance of marriage, that leaving and cleaving has to be foremost. Husband and wife have to sever the relationship that exists between them and their mama, and they've got to 
cling to one another. This is difficult for mamas to hear because the day is going to come when your baby boy or your baby girl has got to look at you and say, you are my mother, you are not my spouse, you don't make the rules for how it is I'm going to spend Thanksgiving dinner. That's right, I go to meddling. I know, i got to be careful. It's ugly, right? Careful. Yeah, we're going to bring it all home. Mama, listen to me, Mama. We're going to get to the good stuff in a minute. This one's free. This isn't even a part of the sermon. Um, mamas, listen to me. Do not, do not, do not create division between your child and their spouse because you have a preference for how it is that they should spend Thanksgiving dinner. Okay? Now listen, y'all honor your mama. Go see your mama on Thanksgiving. Okay? Y'all figure out a way that you can make it work and you can honor mama and you can honor mama-in-law. That's important. Don't neglect one at the expense of the other. But don't you do this, mama. Don't call your son and say, I don't know why that wife of yours doesn't want to come over and have Thanksgiving dinner with me. I'm tired of this. Don't do that. Don't. Okay? Why? Because all you're doing is creating division there. When Angel and I got married, we decided when we got we decided before we got married and we informed the whole world that we would figure out how we were going to spend holidays and we would inform them how we were going to spend holidays. This year we're doing Thanksgiving lunch with Angela's mom and Angela's side of the family. My whole side of the family is still not happy that we won't be there for Thanksgiving lunch. Like when I say my whole side of the family, I mean like my aunts are still not happy. We sure will miss you. Couldn't y'all? No, hush, we're not having this conversation. This is what we're going to do. We understand. Well, you might as well because that's what we decided, right? Because I left them and I clung to Angela. Well, guess what? Next year we flop it around. We do Thanksgiving lunch with my side of the family. And Angela's mom will go, well, we sure will miss you. Well, that's fine, but this is what we're going to do. Okay, that was free. Let's, let's go on to the sermon. Um, I, but, but look, hey, when I do premarital counseling, Right here in Camden, South Carolina, where family's a big deal, you better believe it's a big deal. You gotta leave home. You gotta cut the cord and get out of the house. And you got you better make sure that you're investing first and foremost in the relationship in your own home. It's got to be first. Because if that one's not healthy, none of them will be. Look here. You can't ever hope to have a strong relationship with your mama and not have a strong relationship with your wife. You're going to have to choose, but if you'll do it right, you can have both. You can have both. If you will love her first and honor your mama. Okay? All right, let's get to the sermon. The family is God's design for intimacy. Through time immemorial, we've written songs... When, when we were excited, we haven't. I've never written a song. People have written songs when they were excited, when, when things were happening. We sang songs this morning. We, this is the only time I ever remember. We sang, we sang a Hank Williams song this morning. Hank Williams wrote, I Saw the Light. I didn't know that until recently, but he did. Right? So God took an old drunk and made a good song out of it, and we're able to use it and praise the Lord through it. It's pretty amazing. Okay? It's pretty incredible what God can do. Some of you can look in the mirror and say, God took an old drunk and did something with him. Songs capture our passion and the truth. 
Here in Genesis chapter 2, we have the first words ever spoken and recorded by a human being. I didn't know this until this week. Somehow in all of my years of reading God's Word, it never jumped out to me. Until Genesis chapter 2, verse 23, we don't have a single recorded word of a human being until right here. You want to understand how big a deal the marriage relationship is for the Lord? The first recorded words of a human being are Adam's words when he wakes up from that deep sleep and he lays eyes on Eve for the very first time. I want you to look in your Bibles. And in your Bibles, that's set out as sort of like its own little paragraph. It's indented all the way to the right, about five spots or so. Five tabs over, and it's indented. Why? Because it's poetry. Adam wakes up, and he sings a song. I'm going to tell you something. Ladies, if your husband sang a song to you the first time he laid eyes on you, you better believe you fell head over heels in a minute. And that's what Adam did. He wakes up, and here she stands in all of her glory, literally and figuratively. He wakes up, he lays eyes on her, and Adam says, Finally! At last! All, of the, all these other animals have passed by. Adam didn't even know he was alone. Do you realize that? Adam didn't even know. The Bible says that it was God who said it's not good for Adam to be alone. The Bible says that it was God who looked down and said, there is no suitable helper. God wasn't surprised by this. God did it all on purpose. God created Adam, and then he brings all the animals by. And Adam's like, man, I'm in heaven, literally. I'm in paradise. This is amazing. And God says, oh, no, you don't even know anything yet because I'm fixing to make it better than you knew it could be. Adam says, no, it's good. I got, I got the animals. They don't try to eat me. It's great. I can pet a lion. Things are wonderful. Lord, I even named them. God says, you don't even understand what I'm fixing to do because it's not good for you to be alone. And Adam says, how in the world could it not be God? Good. Remember, Adam and God have a relationship at this point. They can talk to one another. It's not good. Do you think Adam might have said, well, huh? what are you? Hey, look around. Look around. I've got everything. And God says, no, no, it's, it's not good enough yet. Bible says that God caused a deep sleep to fall over Adam and God removed a rib from Adam and God created one. Adam didn't have anything to do with that. Nothing. Because let me tell you something, ladies, you know this is true. If a man had created a woman, he'd have screwed it up. But God didn't. He made it just right. Perfect. Now, now literally, the Bible teaches us that this suitable helper is one like him. Okay? Right? What God has done in creating what we translate as a suitable helper is not to create a woman who is somehow inferior to man or superior. The Bible says that Adam looks and it's like he's looking in a mirror and it's one just like me. The suitable aspect of it means they just go together. They're side by side. Here they are. God, this one's not, it's not furry. She's just like me. And he sings, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Adam says she looks like me, so she might as well sound like me too. But look, here's something we miss because we're Americans and we're not Hebrews from 4,000 years ago. See, when he says this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, in the Old Testament, bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, bones were used to represent strength, right? Flesh was weakness, Essentially, Adam wakes up and Adam says, in strength and in weakness, she will still be called by my name. This is the very first 
marriage ceremony in sickness and in health. I take you. The family is God's design for intimacy. And that, God, that design for intimacy is not a design for a man to lord power over a woman or a woman to be constantly begging for her husband's approval. It's a picture where the man is leading and the woman is serving. The woman is the helper. This helper idea is not a subservient, like less than role. This same word for helper is the same word that God uses to describe himself in relation to Israel. Israel needs a helper. God is their helper. God looks at Adam and says, you are incomplete. You cannot fulfill your God-given responsibilities to be fruitful and multiply and have dominion, exercise dominion over this earth, unless I give you somebody else. You can't do it all on your own, Adam. And so I'm going to give you somebody. And Adam opens his eyes and says, Lord God, I didn't believe it could be like this. Isn't that something? God, I, God says, I'm going to give you a helper. Adam thinks he's going to send some dude to hang out with him. What do you think about that? I'm going to send you a helper. I need somebody else that can swing a hammer, right? I mean, this is, okay, cool. Adam's not seeing anything but himself. He's expecting facial hair and, you know, whatever. And instead, he wakes up from this deep sleep. And there she is. And Adam is dumbstruck, awestruck. Folks, do you know that in, in marriage, in a marriage that is built around God's principles, God gives you something that you didn't even know you needed? Do you know that? He gives you something that you didn't know you needed. You discover when you meet that person and when you begin to walk with that person, when you, when you grow in a relationship with that person, you discover that that person brings out part of you that you didn't even know was missing. That person gives to you privileges that you didn't know that you needed. That's what happens. This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. The family is God's design for intimacy. Our world has perverted this. It has suggested that we can have all sorts of intimacy with all sorts of people in all sorts of environments. And I'm here to tell you that you can, but they will always leave you wanting because they are a pitiful shadow of the good, perfect gift that God has given us in marriage. And marriage done right doesn't leave you wanting. Marriage done right in God's intent and in God's will leaves you fulfilled and joyful. Why should you be thankful for your family? Listen, because the family is God's design for intimacy. For those of you who are single, just know that this is God's intent. If you step outside of God's intent, then you're going to find yourself dissatisfied. But within God's intent, there is joy to be found. There's joy to be found. So first thing this morning, the family is God's design for intimacy. The second thing this morning, the family is God's design for children. <laughs> I just looked at my notes, just a side note. And instead of committed relationships, I wrote committee relationships make real intimacy both possible, safe, and enjoyable. Folks, let me tell you something. When you try and do marriage by committee, you're in a mess. <laughs> committed. Committed relationships. I hope I didn't say committee by accident a minute ago. I want to make sure we clarified that. Committed relationships. The second thing, the family is God's design for children. 
Now, listen, children are not a requirement of any marriage, but every godly marriage should be one that is open to children because part of the command of that God, uh, part of God's command integrated into the design of marriage is to be fruitful and multiply. Turn back a page to Genesis 1:28. So God created, or verse 127, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them, and God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Now look, children are not a requirement of every marriage. We know that there are people who struggle with fertility. We know that that there are other situations that might make it impossible for people to conceive. Godly marriages don't require children, but godly marriages are open to children. Godly marriages are open to children. Not every godly couple can have their own biological children, but look, there are other ways that godly people find to have their own children. Sometimes they adopt. Today, Yesterday, I believe, was National Adoption Day. Do you know there are more churches in the United States than there are adoptable children? Let that sink in. Let that sink in. That means that if every church in this state, and every church, not every Christian, if every church found a way to raise up one person within their church body to adopt today, we could wipe out the problem of orphans today. Godly people should be open to children in their, in their marriages, right? But there's other ways. There's the church children. Miss, Miss, Miss Lily was a faithful saint of our church for years and years. And Miss Lily Jackson was here when I came, and she, she passed about two years ago. Um, Miss Lily didn't have any children of her own, but she had every human being that came through this church was her child if she could make, if she could make it happen. She baked a birthday cake, I think, for every member. I don't know how many cakes she baked a year to send home with people because she found a reason to love on children. And not just little kids either. Us big old grown-up adult children. She found an excuse. There are people in our church today who don't have children of their own but who find an excuse, make an excuse to love on kids here, to invest in them, to disciple them, to see them raised up. A lot of people have that aunt or that uncle that doesn't have children of their own, but that, that's like mama or daddy number two right there. And you can be so grateful for that family member who doesn't have their own children who instead spends their time investing in the other children within the family. Godly relationships, godly marriages are safe harbors for children. God said be fruitful and multiply. Healthy families are the places where God designed children to feel safe and affirmed. Now look, this isn't just coming from me. This isn't just coming even from God's Word. Now I think that's enough, just so we're clear. But I want to show you a few things this morning. Research illustrates that God's design is right. Consider the findings um, of, of the Kaiser study, which identified, this has been several years ago, a list of 10 what they call ACEs. These are adverse childhood experiences that have been shown to have a direct correlation to the future health outcomes. Listen to these. Don't look up there yet. We'll go to that in a minute. Um, here are the 10, the 10 adverse experiences. Physical abuse, emotional abuse, sexual abuse, physical neglect, emotional neglect, mental illness, mother who was treated violently in the home, divorce, an incarcerated relative, or substance abuse. Those are 10 things, okay? Those are 10 things. Research has shown that adults who had four or more of these experiences as a child have a significantly greater risk 
for many behavioral problems as adults. Okay? So just listen to these. And I want you to consider how many children you know that have been affected by, by, by two, three, four, or five of these. How many children do you know who were, have been abused physically, have been abused emotionally, have been abused sexually, have been neglected physically, or emotionally neglected? I've got teachers right now that are listening to this that checked off every one of these for children in their classrooms. Mental illness. A mother who was treated violently. They've been through a divorce. They have a relative, especially a parent or a sibling who's incarcerated. Or they were exposed to substance abuse. Now, when I say mental illness and substance, I don't mean they had that. They were exposed to mental illness. They were exposed to substance abuse. Listen, folks, when you drive out Highway 1 past this church, you're going to find a whole lot of places with a whole lot of darkness that have been ravaged by meth and other drugs, and in those places, you're going to find children growing up in very poor, pitiful homes that are being exposed to every one of these things. Adults who had four or more of these as children have an eight, are eight times more likely to experience chronic depression. They're twice as likely to smoke. They're more than twice as likely to experience serious job problems. Eight times as likely to become alcoholics as adults. Almost ten times as likely to attempt suicide. Six times as likely to lose their virginity by age 15. And twice as likely to be pregnant as a teenager. God's design for families is better. Because in God's design, children are brought up in a home with a mom and a dad who love the Lord, love each other, and protect their children. You say, well, Craig, that doesn't prove anything because what do we know about God's design? What about intact families? What happens? Listen to this. Mothers who, never, who, who, who have never married, including those who are single but cohabitate, are more than twice as likely to experience domestic partner abuse or to be victims of violent crime. Twice as likely. Gets worse. Children of divorced or never married mothers are 6 to 30 times more likely to suffer from serious child abuse. What does that mean? That means children who grow up in a single-parent home with a mother who never married are 30 times more likely to experience abuse than those children who grow up in intact, healthy families. You say, how do we get those numbers? Children who grow up with biological mom and dad in the home have a, a rate of physical abuse at 1%. Children who grow up with a mom who's never married, single-parent home, have an abuse rate of 30%. What does this mean? Does this mean that we look... Oh, oh, let me show you this graph. Look at this. So this is the other thing that we see. Uh, this is how it works. As a result of those who experience adverse childhood experiences, the ACEs that we talked about, they experience disrupted development... They have social-emotional cognitive impairment. They then adopt very risky health behaviors. These are the people that, that are very addiction-prone. They are very risk-averse, or not risk-averse, risk-takers. That's the word I'm trying to, I can't think of the right word. When someone is more inclined to be involved with illicit drug use and dangerous activity, then it only follows that they're going to develop disease, disability, and social problems. It's going to happen. Right? And they die early. What does this mean? Does it mean that we look at with judgment at those who 
don't live in dual, dual parent homes? Do we look at judgment with those who haven't followed God's right? No, it means we look with compassion and care. And we consider how it is that we as God's people can impact, first of all, children who are growing up in hard places. And second of all, how can we speak into a culture and a society that's lost its mind? We need to be thankful for God's design for marriage because He knew what in the world He was doing. Because God understood that in safe families, husbands and wives can have intimacy with one another in a way that is healthy and enjoyable and fulfilling and is not scary. God knew that in those kinds of homes, children could grow up safe and fed and cared for. The family is God's design for children. We also know, we know, that something like 90% of children who grow up in a home that is intact with a mom and a dad and a dad who loves the Lord, 90% of those kids follow in relationship to the Lord. We know that. We know that when there's not a dad who's willing to pursue the Lord, that that number drops way off. We know that. The Bible says, train up a child in the way he should go, and he will not depart from it. Who's going to train him up? Listen to me, folks. It is so important that we as parents, as Christian parents, understand God's intention that we be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion. We're going to talk about that in, in, in another way in just a moment. Part of that having practicing dominion, part of that, that multiplying our children also means adopting that, that understanding of Ephesians 5, that we are to bring them up in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. We have a responsibility, according to Deuteronomy chapter 4, to teach, or, or chapter 6, to teach our children the things of the Lord. It falls on us. We don't get to sub it out to our church. Look, I'm grateful for this church. I mean, I am grateful. We talked about it again in life group this morning. I was grateful for our church yesterday. I saw the way our church showed up and showed out for a funeral yesterday. They did. I mean, it was, I was so proud to be your pastor. I still am today, not just yesterday. We have a phenomenal children's ministry. We have great student ministry. Rhonda Adams won't lead your child to Jesus unless you're modeling a love for Christ in your home. She might see your kid three hours a week. How many hours are they watching mom and dad? Guess what, dad? You are their hero. They may not tell you. They don't want you to know. My kids don't want me to know either. I know it's true. And I know it's true because I counsel with enough kids who sit down in my office and the first thing that comes out is about how much they love their mom. They'll never tell you. They're following you. They're modeling you. God's design for marriage is a, is, is a, is a place where husbands and wives can be safe with, and intimate with one another, but it's also the place where children can thrive, where they can be healthy and cared for where they can find the Lord. The third thing this morning we see is that God's design for the family, or the family is God's design for the building up of society. Some of you are going, whoa, that's big. It's not. It's right here. 
Back at 128, God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Healthy families create a healthier society. That dominion aspect is our responsibility to be society builders. Consider a few things. Here's what somebody has called the success sequence. Healthy families create a healthier society. The the success sequence, here's what it is. Finish high school, get a job, and get married. That's the success sequence. This is secular. The success sequence. Finish high school, get a job, get married before having children. Why is that called the success sequence? According to Ben Sass, if you follow the success sequence, you won't be poor. But if you fail to follow the success sequence, it's a 50-50 chance that you and your kids will be poor. Listen to this. If you finish high school, get a job, and get married before having children, you have only about a 3% statistical chance of ending up poor. 3%. 97% of people who attempt to follow what we see to be God's design for marriage, which is to grow up in the fear and admonition of the Lord, to identify a spouse, to wait until a period of maturity, to abstain from sexual intercourse and activity, and then to marry one another, to grow in a relationship, and then to begin multiplying and filling the earth. 97% of people who go that route have the opportunity to find success in life. Okay? That's from a secular perspective. We're not talking about even Jesus right here. But God has a whole lot to say about that. And that's where we've got to focus. We shall leave a father and mother, cling to his wife, and and they shall become one flesh. That bleeds over into the 128 part where we are told that we are to multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over every living thing. Look, the dominion is not separated from the multiplying because we cannot be expected to have dominion. Now, what does this dominion mean? It means a, a, a stewardship, a ruling authority. This is a part of living in God's image. God, as the creator, has the authority over all created things. But God says in 127, I've created them in my image. And then he follows it and says, part of being my image bears what? That you're going to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. So you're going to be creative and then you're going to subdue. You're going to have dominion over the earth. God says, as my image bears, you are my vice regent over this world. You represent me over the world. Establishing and building up society, controlling creation. Part of that multiplication of our families is the way that we bring creation into subjection. We don't fully appreciate this not living anymore in an agrarian society. But think about this. In an agrarian society, what are the reasons that people had lots and lots of children? One of the primary reasons is because the more children you had, the stronger workforce you had to actually be able to produce food and income. Okay? This dominion aspect is important. Exercising dominion is a significant part of our image bearing. Now, that doesn't mean that we should abuse the world that God has given us, but it is a reminder that we should work. We exercise dominion when we go to work, when we vote, when we build healthy societies. And if we take these numbers at face value, what we understand is that God's intention is for societies to be built around healthy families. 
And if we believe the numbers I just gave you, what we're finding out based upon what happens to children and what happens uh, with, with, with things like income levels, healthy families actually build healthy societies. You say, Craig, what in the world does that have to do with me? I hope it has a whole lot to do with you. Because we have a responsibility as God's children here on this planet. We have a responsibility as God's followers and as God's worshipers to raise up children in the fear and the admonition of the Lord, to build families around God's good intention for this purpose, for the glory of God and for the good of the world. For the glory of God and for the good of the world. Godly families look up, they look in, and they look out. Godly families look up to the Lord and give Him glory and honor and praise. They look up to the Lord and say, God, how, how now shall I live? They look in at themselves. They look in at the other members of their family. They look regularly eye to eye and face to face with their spouse so they can grow in intimacy with one another. That's God's intention and His design. He created families for, for, for intimacy. We were created to be in relationship. The second thing they do is they look inward at members of their own family. Sometimes this will mean extended members of the family, but primarily we're talking about that nuclear family. How is it that I can care for my family? But then they look outward. One of the greatest temptations that I see in evangelicalism today is the temptation to turn our families into idols. The temptation to turn our families into idols. Folks, your family is a gift from God, but it is not there for you to worship. It's not. There exists an entire world outside of your family. Part of having a healthy family means investing well in your family and spending time with your family without a shadow of a doubt. But a big part of having a healthy family means making sure that your family fits into a puzzle that is much larger than yourself. It means that part of being a part of a family and creating a family that loves the Lord and, and engages and benefits society is that we see our family as having a purpose well beyond our own satisfaction, our own comfort, our own enjoyment. You need to serve as a family. Your family should serve as a part of your church and alongside the church body, serve in mission, serve in, in, in ministry to others. Why? Because the family is God's design, not just for your fun and enjoyment, but for the building up of society. How has your family made our world a better place in the last 12 months? I didn't ask how your church has. How has your family? How has your family made our church a better place in the last 12 months? Your family can't have a significant impact in this church or in the, in, in the larger society without being intentional. And if your family spends all of your waking time engaged in recreational activities, you can't have a positive impact on the world around you. I want you to think about that. I want you to think about that. Do you spend 
Do you spend 50% of your weekends engaged in, in lots of fun and ignoring or avoiding service with your family? Worship with your family? The family is God's design for the building up of society. I want you to think about how it is that your family fits into this bigger puzzle. Puzzle of the church, puzzle of the culture. But then finally, I want to share a word to those of you who are single today. Because part of the fallout of people worshiping their families is that those who have been called to singleness within the church or perhaps those who are, are, are single without their choice sometimes can feel completely left out. First of all, if you are single, you have a unique opportunity to serve the Lord and to serve our community. You're not tied down by the restrictions of, of a spouse and of children. And I say that in honesty. In honesty. My, kid, my kids, my wife's here. I'm going to tell you, there are things that I can't do because I have a wife and I have children that need me to care for them. Those of you who are single, you don't have those restrictions. Listen, before you focus on all the negatives that might come because you're single, look at the positive opportunities you have. To build up society, to build up your church, to invest in others. So first of all, I want you to look around at those opportunities that you have for those of you who are single. I want you to know that you have a place in this church, an important part to play. We need you. We need you. And I want to also say to those of you who are a part of good, healthy families, look at those who are single around us. You know what they want? A lot of times, they would love the opportunity to be a part of your family, my family, to gather with your family over dinner occasionally, just to know that your door is open for them to walk in and have fellowship and time together. Listen, I, I recognize this morning that this is not one of those big rah-rah sermons but I think it's super important for us to recognize that there is a necessity for us to celebrate our earthly families, but to not sit back on our haunches and just celebrate them, but to consider how it is that we should live as God's children in our family relationships. It's Thanksgiving. A lot of you are going to go home or, or go to mama's house or wherever. A lot of you are going to have some awkward conversations with family members that maybe you haven't seen in a year. Some of you still carry the scars of parents that neglected you or abused you. It was never God's intention that you not experience a godly love in your home. And for those of you that didn't, I want you to know that there is a Heavenly Father who stands ready to fill in the holes. Some of you probably looked up at, at these, this graph I threw up and you said, that explains me. My childhood was terrible. Can I tell you that just because there's a high likelihood that things could go wrong, there's a God who came to earth as a man to fill in the gaps of your life to even give you healing from the sins that have been committed against you. These don't have to be self-fulfilling promises. There's hope to be found in Christ. This morning, as we finish, there's two things. This morning, if, if you're here today, and, and, and obviously, well, I guess three, if you're here today and you don't know the Lord, you might have come today and said, man, I just, I, I need Jesus. If you're here today and that's you, listen, I'd love to talk to you about what it means to follow Christ. 
Some of you may just want to come down and, and, and have prayer or maybe even just bow with somebody right there beside you and just pray the Lord would release you from the pain of abuse in your own life. Release you from the struggle of having grown up in a home that wasn't healthy and God-honoring. Some of you, though, and this is what I think many of us should be doing, some of you may want to come this morning and just bow right here and pray, Lord God, Lord, make us into the family that you would have us to be. Lord, make me the spouse, the husband who allows my wife to feel completely comfortable, to be naked and not ashamed, completely vulnerable in front of me. Help me to be the wife that helps my husband to be vulnerable and unashamed. God, help us to be the kind of family that raises children to know you and to love you to be healthy. Lord God, help us to be the kind of family that makes our world a better place. One relationship, one decision, one human being at a time. However it is that God is working in your life, I would encourage you to allow God to move. In Christ's name, today we pray and I give you glory and honor. God, we come to you today and I pray that you would move in this place. Burden us, Father, for our children, for our spouses. Father, for our neighbors who need you. Father, may we be known as your people in the way that we love one another. In Christ's name, amen.